0: Enchiridion, Chapter 4 Whenever you are about to start on some activity, remind yourself what the activity is like. If you go out to bathe, picture what happens at a bathhouse. The people there who splash you, or jostle you, or talk rudely, or steal your things. In this way, you will be more prepared to start on the activity by telling yourself at the outset, I want to bathe, and I also want to keep my will in harmony with nature. Make this your practice in every activity. Then, if anything happens that gets in the way of your bathing, you will have the following response available. Well, this was not the only thing I wanted. I also wanted to keep my will in harmony with nature. I shall not do that if I get angry about what is happening. Surprisingly, the meaning of this profoundly important passage may be more relevant and applicable to us in modern times than it was even to those young students of Epictetus almost 2,000 years ago. Nevertheless, to fully appreciate and apply this passage to our modern lives, we must overcome one cultural hurdle so that we can fully understand and appreciate its meaning. Epictetus relies on the experience of a Roman bathhouse to drive this lesson home for his students. This was a commonly shared experience of that time. However, few moderns have ever been to anything like a Roman bathhouse. Therefore, when Epictetus begins his list of things that occur at a Roman bathhouse, splashing, jostling, rude talk, stealing of clothing, we moderns might be inclined to think of a public pool setting and consider it similar. However, that is not a good comparison, and it leaves us with an inadequate appreciation of the point that Epictetus is making here. To help understand this lesson, let's take a closer look at Roman bathhouses and the type of activities that actually occurred there. In Enchiridion 4, Epictetus is quite brief with his description of a Roman bathhouse because he did not need to elaborate further. Again, his students related to his example immediately because Roman bathhouses were a common part of Greek and Roman life. Seneca, on the other hand, provides us with a more detailed picture of these bathhouses in a letter to Lucilius, He writes, Call to mind every sort of awful noise that grates on the ears. When the stronger men do their exercises, swinging their hand weights about and straining with the effort, or pretending to, I hear the grunts each time they exhale they're rasping and gasping for breath. When I get some idle fellow who's happy with an ordinary man's massage, I hear the hands slapping his shoulders and the change of sound when they strike with the cupped hand or with the palm. Then, if a ball player shows up and starts counting how many he catches, I'm done for. Now, add the quarrelsome type and the one caught stealing and the one who likes to hear himself sing in the bath chamber and also the ones who jump into the swimming pool with a great splash. Besides all these, who are at least using their normal voices, imagine the tweezer man screeching over and over in his high, shrill falsetto just to attract attention. He is never silent unless he is plucking someone's armpits and making him cry out instead. Now, add the cries of the drink man, the sausage man, the bakery man, and all the different sellers of cooked foods singing out their wares in their distinctive tones. Letters 56, 1 to 2. Obviously, that is a quite different environment from what a modern person will typically experience at a public pool. To create anything similar to what Seneca described, we moderns would have to combine a public pool, maybe during college spring break, with an outdoor gym and people playing catch, a bar full of loud, quarrelsome drinkers, an open-air hot wax station, and food vendors shouting over the crowd to sell hot dogs and beer at a sporting event. If you do not relate to that, try a crowded shopping mall during the holiday season, a Black Friday sale at an electronics store, etc. You get the idea. Epictetus is trying to get his students and us to imagine environments where we typically get frustrated and angry with people and events. Why should we imagine these? Because this type of act of imagination, in advance of an event, known as premeditatio malorum, trains us to deal with these events appropriately. It prepares us to keep our will in harmony with nature, even during events that might otherwise disturb our tranquil mind and make us angry. Let's consider a few scenarios. How about a family gathering, maybe at holiday time, or maybe at a graduation, where derogatory remarks and criticisms among family members are inevitable where someone might decide to regurgitate or replay old family dramas, where sibling rivalries are extended even into adulthood. Or how about a trip to a shopping mall, where there are rude drivers in the parking lot who take the spot that you were waiting for, unsupervised children screaming and running and bumping into you in the stores, or those inevitably slow checkout lines. Or how about a commute on a highway to or from work, the driver who cuts you off, The man who misses the first 10 seconds of the green light because he's focused on his smartphone while driving. The woman who does the same because she is putting on eye makeup while driving. Or maybe the commute on a train, the subway, or a bus. The people who push and plow their way to the front when the door opens. The apparently young and healthy person who will not give up their seat to someone who appears in need of it. The person singing aloud to the music playing in their earphones. Or how about the day at the office? The backbiting, the backstabbing, the grumpy boss, the incompetent or lazy employees, the political games people play for promotion. In this lesson, Epictetus is teaching us to use the practice of premeditatio malorum for every situation where we may encounter people and events that can disturb us and put us in a state of disharmony with nature. He is teaching us to take the time to remind ourselves what happens at the shopping mall, on the freeway and subway at the office, and at family gatherings, etc., so that we will not be surprised by these events and we will be better prepared to deal with them as dispreferred indifference that cannot harm us. So what is the ultimate goal of this practice? It enables us to participate in these activities without becoming irritated or angry and thereby allows us to keep our proeresis, which is the Greek word for our moral purpose or will or faculty of choice, in harmony with nature. A. A. Long translates the Greek word prooresis as the English word will in this passage and defines it as, quote, a human being's power of self-determination and mental disposition, end quote. In the glossary of his translation, he further points out that this word is sometimes translated as choice, purpose, volition, or decision, but argues that in his opinion, will is the most natural English expression for what Epictetus seeks to convey with that word. Some people might balk at the idea of premeditatio malorum because it is a form of negative visualization. This appears to contradict some New Age teachings that suggest that our thoughts directly create and control things and events external to us. Stoicism, on the other hand, teaches us that all external events and things are outside of our control. Of course, that does not imply that our thoughts and intentions do not affect things and events external to us. However, as we learned in the lesson on Enchiridion 2, nature does not grant us the authority or permission to control things and events that are external to us. Stoicism teaches us that these externals are not up to us. And premeditatio malorum does not create what some people call a self fulfilling prophecy for two reasons. First, the Stoic practitioner learns that these events are not truly bad. Instead, The Stoic trusts these events, which are brought about by a providentially ordered cosmos, are good for the whole of the cosmos, even though they may be dispreferred indifference to us. Again, I repeat Marcus Aurelius' beautiful expression of this radical acceptance towards the things and events that nature brings about. He wrote, Everything suits me that suits your designs, O my universe. Nothing is too early or too late for me that is in your own good time. All is fruit for me that your seasons bring, O Nature. All proceeds from you. All subsists in you. And to you all things return. Meditations 4, 23. Second, Stoics do not visualize the possibility of negative events because they fear them and want to avoid them. Instead, they visualize them to develop the realization there is nothing about these events we should fear. As we will see in the next lesson, these seemingly negative events cannot harm us. Instead, it is only our beliefs about them that can, in fact, bring us any real harm. Therefore, Enchiridion 4 is teaching us to keep our will in harmony with nature while we are engaged in activities where events might otherwise irritate us and make us angry. While the events themselves are not bad, the irritation or anger that we allow to well up inside us, is morally bad because it places our will in a state of disharmony with nature. But what does it mean to be in a state of disharmony with nature? Well, to understand that, we must understand what it means to be in a state of harmony with nature. Fortunately, A. A. Long provides us with a succinct and poignant definition. He suggests that living in harmony with nature means, quote, to behave in conformity both with one's human nature as a rational animal and to one's predetermined and God-given circumstances. End quote. Please notice that he did not stop with human nature in his definition. That is a mistake that many moderns make in their practice of Stoicism. However, without cosmic nature, Stoic theory and practice loses its deeply spiritual significance and the inherent meaning and purpose that the ancient Stoics understood was an essential aspect of the ethical life they attempted to live which was, one, in agreement with nature. So how do we apply this practice of premeditatio malorum in our daily life in modern times? Well, again, the applications are endless. But here are a few examples. Prior to your morning or evening commute, remind yourself how other drivers behave during rush hour traffic. Then, when another driver cuts you off or causes you to miss a green light because they were not paying attention, You can look beyond the immediate goal of getting home or to another location and remind yourself, well, this is not the only thing I wanted. I also wanted to keep my will in harmony with nature. I shall not do that if I get angry about what is happening. When you decide to go shopping at a mall, remind yourself that another driver may take the parking spot that you are waiting for. Remember what it is like to stand in a long checkout line because the clerk is slow or a customer is creating a problem. Then you can look beyond the immediate goal of shopping and remind yourself, well, this is not the only thing I wanted. I also wanted to keep my will in harmony with nature. I shall not do that if I get angry about what is happening. As you're getting dressed for a family gathering, remind yourself that your rude and obnoxious brother or sister will be there. Remember that someone will probably bring up an old family controversy and start an argument. Then you can look beyond the immediate goal of spending time with your family and remind yourself, well, this was not the only thing I wanted. I also wanted to keep my will in harmony with nature, and I shall not do that if I get angry about what is happening. On your way to work, remind yourself that your boss may be in a bad mood. Someone you supervise may be having family problems that they will bring to work. Your coworker may stab you in the back to get the promotion that you both seek. Then you can look beyond project deadlines and career goals and remind yourself, well, this was not the only thing I wanted. I also wanted to keep my will in harmony with nature. I shall not do that if I get angry about what is happening. Ultimately, no matter what we intend to do or what our goal may be, we will do well to remind ourselves, well, this is not the only thing I wanted. I also wanted to keep my will in harmony with nature. And I shall not do that if I get angry about what is happening. This simple practice helps us maintain control over the only thing that is up to us. Our will or faculty of choice. And it teaches us to trust providentially ordered nature for the rest because those externals are not up to us. This is the life of the Stoic Practitioner. A life lived in accordance with our rational human nature and cosmic nature. And that is what will set your practice of Stoicism on fire. Thank you for listening to the Stoicism on Fire podcast. If you are interested in this ancient practice of Stoicism, you will find plenty of resources at www.traditionalstoicism.com. If you are interested in a social media environment where this form of Stoicism is discussed, please join us on Facebook in the traditional stoicism group. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on the platform where you listen to this podcast that tells others. This podcast is worth listening to and thereby introduces more people to the ancient spiritual practices of the stoics. If you have feedback or a great podcast idea for me, send me an email at Chris, that's C H R I S at traditional stoicism.com until next time. I hope you will continue exploring traditional Stoicism where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine creative fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire.